Hey, everybody. Uh, you're listening to Incorruptible Massachusetts. Our mission is to uh, really help you understand state politics. So we talk about why it is so broken, what we could have here in Massachusetts if we fixed it, and uh, the ways that you can get involved. Today, we are going to be talking about uh, climate change, and we'll really dig into the environmental bill that passed the legislature uh, last session, sort of. <laughs> we'll talk more de in detail about that. But first, let's uh, go ahead and introduce um, our regular Jonathan Cohn and our special guest, Cabell Eames. Jonathan, do you want to go first? Jonathan Cohn, uh, he, him, his, uh, typically in Boston, although I'm currently in in Cambridge for this. Uh, and I've been a kind of progressive activist on electoral and issues campaigns in Massachusetts, uh, uh, especially Metro Boston for a number of years. And delighted to have Cabell joining us. Yeah, I'm Anna Callahan uh, here in Medford. Um, also super excited, Cabell, would you uh, introduce not only yourself, but also your work with 350 Mass? Yeah, hi, it's great to be here. Uh, so Kavaleem, she, her, and I'm the political and legislative director for 350 Massachusetts. Um, we have been around for quite some time, going on 10 years now, and uh, we are just really excited that we now have a federal partnership that's actually listening to policy, and we're anxious to dig into the work. Fantastic. Um, so why don't we start off with um, the bill that passed, sort of passed the legislature last session, almost passed the legislature last session. Um, and we'd love to hear kind of broad strokes what that bill did. Um, let me comment that we had to wait 13 years to get any real environmental legislation to come out of this, um, this state house. But, uh, but uh, Kabul, if you would talk about that bill um, in broad strokes, what it covered, um, and a little bit about the details. Absolutely, yes. So to your point, yeah, last session became this session. Um, that was due to the vetoes that came out of the Baker administration. So we would have had it last session. However, there were vetoes that came out of the Baker administration. Um, he really did listen to his stakeholders, meaning developers in the real estate industry. So he really tried to cut out a lot of really important language around bitter building energy efficiency, but the legislature caught him and they did not allow it, thankfully, thankfully. But, um, you know, still the bill, it is, it's an excellent bill. I, I will say that um, it's the kind of bill, honestly, that I would have liked to have seen many years ago, um, but unfortunately it didn't happen, but we do have what we have. And now this next legislative cycle is where the rubber is gonna meet the road. Uh, around whether or not we can really meet our climate goals, because it's one thing to put into writing that you're going to do something. It's a totally, it's a, it's a different animal, though, to actually do it. And that's where the hard part is. Um, the bill did require emission reductions for six sectors. Um, those, se those sectors being electricity and transportation, uh, commercial and industrial and residential buildings, um, as well as natural gas distribution. It also required that we achieve net zero emissions by 2050, um, and we have to get halfway there by the, by 2030. So that means that there is real work to be done. There are real target mandates there, and the Baker administration is responsible for meeting those targets. It also codified environmental justice language into law, which was extremely important to do because for far too long, environmental justice populations have just been sacrifice zones. They have had plants built into their infrastructure without their input. 
There have been hearings that they have not been able to attend that were not in their languages. They were essentially cut out and they have been cut out, I would say, probably since the beginning of um, America as we know it. So it's really important that we have this environmental justice language in law now. Um, we also, they also greenlit 5,200 megawatts of wind power, which is huge because folks that know our jet stream and know our weather patterns know that Massachusetts should be called the Saudi Arabia of wind. We have the potential to have enough wind power here in the state to actually have a surplus and sell it to other states. So actually make money off of our wind. So that's extremely important that that, that was codified into law. It also, the bill also updates the priorities for the DPU, the Department of Public Utilities. Um, they have notoriously dragged their feet and not been helpful when people are trying to switch over from oil or gas, including MassSave. And they also have a mandate in this bill to work more in sync with homeowners who are trying to switch over to, uh, to electric heat pumps and, and so forth. Um, it establishes a renewable energy goals for municipal light plants, which is really important because munis have the ability to kind of control where their energy comes from. So it, um, it really establishes some concrete goals for them to at least require, you know, um, I think it's 50% of their power has to be non-carbon emitting, yeah, by 2030. So really important stuff that's in this bill. Again, it's performance until it actually happens. And that's what environmentalists are waiting for right now. We're really waiting to see um, how these things are going to get implemented and in a timely fashion, I might, I might add. One quick thing I want to kind of want to ask. So earlier in the discussion of what the bill did, you talked about it setting a, like a timeline for like or a deadline for reaching net zero. Explain for people listening, what does that mean? And what types of policies with this and regulations would, would we need to have in place to make it happen? Yeah. So, I mean, basically, it means that you're you're no longer admitting greenhouse gases. That That's what that means. Right. And so the stretch code, which is also part of this bill allows for um, there, there's like a, co a building code that currently exists for when you're in, in development and a stretch code allows for a building to go outside of that code and build an, an extremely energy efficient building because our currently like our codes are pretty archaic so and most of our buildings have been built before 1950 so there's a lot of there's a lot of infrastructure that is extremely old, as we know we are very old here in Massachusetts. Um, so when you say net zero, it means you are not producing um, carbon emissions. You're not. And so because there is so much in the atmosphere currently, currently we are at so so here's a gauge. So 350 actually is the safe number of carbon that is in the atmosphere. We are right now at four around 409 last. The, the last data point that came out was at 409, and that was in 2019. If you hit 450, you're in deep trouble. So it's, in, it's imperative that we get carbon out of the atmosphere. We don't have technology right now that's real to capture it, um, with the exception of nature, which is basically yeah, healthy soil and trees. Yeah, trees. <laughs> trees and healthy soil, I might, soil carbon as well. So, and you know, when you talk about plastic fields, right? Like you are literally covering up a carbon sink by plastic grass. So like there are so many ways that we can bring down our emissions that are like, let's low hanging fruit. 
but we can't afford to put any more carbon in the atmosphere. And that's, if we're gonna, particularly with the intermental government, government, governmental panel on climate change that was established in 1988, that says 1.5 degrees Celsius, you hit that target, it's no man's land. We're about 1.1 right now, and we're having droughts, we're having fires, we're having historic flooding. We can't get to 1.5, so we can't afford any more carbon in the atmosphere. Yeah, and I'm, I'm also gonna just, I'm gonna dig in a little more um, on the same question that, that Jonathan had, which is um, there was a battle during the, this bill, during last summer when they were fighting over what exactly would be in this bill between net zero and 100% renewable, right? And I think this is hard for people to really get their, wrap their minds around, right? What, what is, is one better than the other? Um, and that net, when you're talking about net zero, which you mean is like the emissions of carbon minus the, the removal of carbon from the air is to zero, right? Which means some people can pollute more carbon and others as long as they're drawing carbon out of the air and it gives some wiggle room, right? But 100% renewable is really the gold standard. Would you say that that's accurate? I would say that that's absolutely accurate and that climate activists were very saddened when that bill did not pass or even get written in as an amendment when the climate bill passed um, in March. It, it, was, it, was it wasn't even acknowledged, to be honest. Um, and so it, it has been refiled. And the legislature is basically saying no, because we've already set our targets. We're not resetting our targets because we can't figure out how to set the targets that we currently have. Right. And, and so just a little tiny hint back to, um, to what happened over the summer. There were people who had committed to file an amendment for 100% renewable and then that did not happen. And, you know, we talk a lot about the pressure inside the state house to not rock the boat. Um, and this is, this is a good example of one of those cases where, you know, there is no reason in the world why with the sentiment of the people of Massachusetts, why we are not, not pass 100% um, renewables inside this bill that should have been passed. And instead we have a weaker climate bill um, that that was able to pass for all the reasons we discussed in many other uh, in many other podcasts. We don't need to dig too deep into that, but um, great. Oh, well, yeah. One one quick thing to have to tag in here as well. So earlier, Cavill, you were talking about how environmental activists are now kind of watching to see what actually happens with the implementation. It reminded me of several years ago when Governor Baker had to be sued into following through with the Global Warming Solutions Act targets, which his administration just kind of completely ignored. What, what are the signals that you're currently getting out of the administration about how seriously that it's taking what's in the bill? Um, I wish that I could have a better report than I do, but unfortunately I am seeing a lot, a lot of the same. Um, and the things that are happening are performance-based. Uh, for example, he, the Baker administration created a commission on energy efficiency, um, essentially saying that they were gonna figure out how they were gonna meet their targets because part of the, what came out of the administration was that you have to retrofit a million homes to be able to meet these, these targets. And what a retrofit is, is it basically means that you're going into uh, a two family that was built in 1910, for example and you are checking those windows, checking that roof, checking to see how they are getting heat, providing them with a, something like a heat pump, right? 
um, and then also and then and then air seal that like air sealing that apartment to make certain that nothing is leaking, period. Um, so that's that's part of something that they have to meet, right? Okay, so he created a commission by executive order very recently. Every on on the surface that looks like he's actually he's pulling a lever that is important and that is progressive. Nothing could be further from the truth. The people that he put on that commission are developers and real estate agents, the exact same people that have blocked climate legislation, as we know from the Brown report that came out recently from from happening for decades. So you don't, you know, if you're really serious about these things, you dig into communities because you, the top-down approach leaves people behind, and it makes people further not trust their government. If you're telling me that you're going to come in and retrofit my home, and a developer and a real estate agent is going to be part of who's deciding on how you're doing that, then if I become displaced because you're retrofitting my home, it's basically up to me to figure out where I got to go while you expedite my home because, oh, you figured out there was mold in my apartment, and now I got to figure out where to go while you dig up the apartment um, et cetera. And these policies cannot be top down. They have to be bottom up. And so that for me was the biggest red flag that is recent that I want to call people's attention to, because it looks one way, but really when you dig in, it's something completely different. Yeah. I'm just going to chime in a little bit for Somerville because, um, so the, this whole question about real estate developers, which have, they, they pour money into city politics. They pour money into state politics. They're one of the the largest lobbyists, lobbying groups. And, um, you know, across the state, a third of our emissions are from buildings. Um, and in Somerville, it's almost two thirds of emissions in Somerville that come from buildings. Um, so this inordinate amount of money that comes from, um, you know, real estate and landlords and all of that, means that it becomes incredibly difficult to deal with this problem that you're talking about. Hey, live in a, you know, two family in Somerville and it leaks and you're a renter like me and it leaks like a sieve pouring heat and fossil fuels and my money out the door, literally, and out the window, like literally. Um, the landlords don't care. The real estate developers don't want to do the work and they don't have to pay for it. Um, and so it's a huge problem of corruption of what you're talking about happening with this building, these building codes and retrofitting because new building codes, which is what a lot of um, you know, politicians want to pass covers a tiny fraction of the buildings that we have in Massachusetts. We have to retrofit the buildings that already exist because it is the vast majority of buildings. Yeah, and I would just also add that, you know, this this whole idea around buildings, that was the exact language that the Baker administration was trying to cut out of the climate bill was around the stretch code. So, you know, he's he he is listening to the developers and the real estate agency because they are quite honestly the ones that prop him up as governor when he runs for elections and such. That's why he's got that war chest, right? Because he's making deals with the devil. That's right. Um so uh, I love that making deals with the devil because like we are literally talking about the human race not being able to exist anymore and, and the sixth extinction. So, you know, not to make this too, too sad of a podcast, but we're talking about real bad stuff happening here, you know, because of, uh, because of money and politics. Um, 
Kabul, I would love for you to detail a little bit what what is the timeline of action that the Baker administration and possibly the legislature needs to take based upon this bill that was passed? Yeah, that's really important for people to know. So um, particularly because some of them haven't been met. <laughs> um, so effective January 21st, that was 90 days after the bill was signed. Um, the DPU had to align its policies with the, with the, with the uh, targets that were given, with the net zero targets. Um, so that in the, six, in the six sectors specifically, no one has heard anything out of the DPU and what they're doing. So that's one. Uh, the governor needed to appoint three new members to the Board of Building Regulations and Standards, which is technical, which is like the BPRS uh, acronym that everybody hears. That's Board of Building Regulations and Standards. Um, he was supposed to put three new members on, uh, one that was an expert in commercial building, another one that was an expert in energy efficiency, and the other one that was an expert in resi uh, residential building uh, energy efficiency. Um, that hasn't been done to our knowledge as well as the parties that are running Mass Save, they were supposed to have some sort of new element where there's like a social value of greenhouse gas emission reductions into like design and implementation for their program services. Again, no idea, no idea. Everything is really vague, really vague as to what's happening. And these are from folks that actually watch it. As far as we can tell, what was supposed to happen in June or in October, that has not happened. Um, it also requires by December that the CEC um, design and launch an initiative to provide workforce training, which is very, very exciting. So again, that's into the future. But um, and that the DPU and the D and the DPU and the Department of Energy and, Regu and um, Regulations are also supposed to aim like targets to be able to create solar facilities to receive net metering and um, transferring credits and that sort of thing. Like there's a lot that's supposed to be happening and a lot of it comes later in the year. But when we look back on what was just kind of the bare bones of June and we're in October, that, that it hasn't happened. And Baker gets away with it because when nothing happens, nobody, like there's nothing to point to, right? There's nothing for the media to be like, oh, look at this terrible thing that he's doing because he's doing nothing. Yeah, I mean, creating a commission by executive order instead of like actually meeting the mandates by the climate bill that you signed is, again, it's performance. So, you know, there are real concrete steps that the climate bill lays out that have not been met the best of our knowledge. And so it would be really fabulous if we had if the administration, at least, could be transparent about what's going on, because what we're talking about is the future of our our livelihood, the future of our children. Um, these are real questions that are really scary. And so the best thing to do is to be transparent about what's happening so that people can sleep at night instead of, you know, having like backstage, front stage type of tactics. I think right before we started, you said something about the Oscar goes to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I yeah. Like that. There are several people in our legislature that get Oscars. Yeah. But I think Baker is like kind of the Meryl Streep in my mind of the um <laughs> the legislature <laughs> performing and not doing and performing anyway yeah because she's way cooler and yeah but you know if you're talking about somebody that's like got a lot to display it, it would certainly be governor baker <laughs> it's like meryl streep could be governor of massachusetts but charlie <laughs> baker could never play in like <laughs> <laughs> uh, but if somebody, so somebody's 
at home and thinking about like what impact that they themselves can have. What are some of the things that like, what are some of the things that you would recommend for them to, to help it have an impact on this? Um, well, I mean, local. Okay. Well, this is where the federal government comes in because we haven't, we haven't touched on this yet, but um, we do have it. We do have a real chance right now to have some huge dollars come down from the federal government that is specifically designed for climate mitigation and adaptation. Mitigation meaning like, you know, solutions, adaptation meaning like, and also adapting to what's coming. I mean, that's basically what that means. So if the federal government uh, does pass this huge infrastructure bill, which it is in jeopardy, I will say that it is in jeopardy of passing at 3.5 trillion, which that is also a compromise. It started with 10 from our Senator filing the Thrive Act, which was 10 trillion over 10 years to enforce climate legislation, mitigation and adaptation. That was too much. Then it went to 6 trillion. That was too much. Now we're at 3.5 trillion and they're trying to negotiate that away behind closed doors. And specifically so, the climate parts of that are, are among the things that might get pulled. Yes. Yes. So there is a lot at, at stake in this very moment. I know that we're we're feeling like we're in this safe zone, but uh, COVID has really hurt the labor force, including in the federal government. And the Trump administration left it so decimated that the ability to clean up and get things back on track is taking much longer than it would have ever have because of COVID and because the fact that people can't go back to work because their childcare uh, or their daycares aren't open or don't have safety precautions or, or what have you. Like this infrastructure bill has a lot of things in it that would get us back on track. And so we really need to pass that infrastructure bill at 3.5 trillion. But then we also need to have the oversight in the state to be able to spend those funds correctly and swiftly. Because right now we have the American Rescue Plan funds that came down at $5 billion. And to their credit, the legislature has been hearing from the people about how they should spend those funds, even though the Baker administration discouraged that effort to hear from folks. They are hearing from people. Those hearings have been ongoing. They are wrapping up. And now it's time for us to give these funds to local governments and let them implement things like charging stations, for instance. Um, create grant programs for folks to retrofit their homes, right? There's a lot of new building infrastructure that's going up, particularly in, in the school department, which I know Somerville has a new school, Watertown, like they're all the 20 years are up for a lot of these buildings and they're being rebuilt. We have to ensure that they are rebuilt net with a net zero code. And so the local aspect to all of this is really, really important that people get involved with their select boards, with their city councilors, with their mayors, to let them know that they're watching because this funnel money is gonna come down and we need to make sure that it is spent to benefit us and not spent to benefit you know, a fancy blah, blah, blah in town or like a water fountain or whatever, something that's stupid and completely unnecessary. We really need this money or hotels. Yes, we need this money to rebuild our towns and we need the local governments to know that we're watching. So, you know, that comes from a phone call to your federal government saying pass the infrastructure bill, your congressperson, your senator, and it also comes to a phone call with your select board, your city council, your mayor's office to say, I know that these funds are coming. I know that you have funds from the American Rescue Plan. 
you know, please use these funds for adaptation and mitigation so that our children have a home to live in in 20 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot, uh, a lot happening, a lot on the, at stake right now between the federal and, uh, and the state stuff that passed but is not being implemented. Um, and one thing to remember is that when money does come uh, from the federal government, that we don't, we don't know how long that partnership with the federal government will last. So talking to some of the state reps during the Trump administration, they were like, well, <laughs> we thought that we were gonna have support on some of these things from the federal yeah. government, but we have none. And so we, now we can't do things we thought we were gonna be able to do so I think it's important that we pressure our um, state leadership, uh, the legislature and the governor, um, to make sure that we take advantage of these things while we have them. That's right. That's right. And reminding them that they said that they couldn't do anything because of Trump. And now they don't have Trump. They actually have a lot of cooperation. So what are they doing? Absolutely. Um, great. So we, uh, what else about um, what's happening in the state of Massachusetts um, do you want to make sure that people know right now? Well, I want people to pay attention really to what's going on in the state legislature regarding bills that have been filed because we are in a new session. And a lot of the bills that have been filed are meant to kind of color in the blueprint that the state passed through the next gen roadmap bill. Um, so there is a lot of legislation that could that, that kind of shows the way on how you do those things. Um, there, there's a lot of environmental justice bills that have been filed around air quality that's in, in, important to uplift. Um, you know, there's, there's the reckoning has happened, I think, actually globally. And so equity needs to be centered going forward. And I, and I encourage folks to check out certain bills that really center equity that those um, environmental justice tables or coalitions for, back, for lack of a better word are uplifting because that's, that's a scary notion to think that we could pass climate bills that once again leave environmental justice communities behind. Um, and a big thing that folks are nervous about is that when, climate bill, when a climate bill does pass that they're gonna somehow get stuck with the funds to have to pay for to retrofit their home, for example, or to pay for an electric vehicle, which is extremely expensive. Um, you know, most people, you know, I'm an environmentalist, okay? I can't afford an EV, I can't. So, you know, if I can't afford an EV, then I, I can't imagine what it must be like for somebody else who doesn't do this work, right? Like, it's just, these things need to be attainable for everybody. And as Julia Mejia says, all means all. And we really need to walk the talk on this equity and, and, and dig into this reckoning that's happening and check ourselves and make sure that when we're passing legislation, we aren't leaving anybody behind and that is, it is community, it, it is done with community voices and that, and that communities are engaged. And so some of this comes down to you know, coalitions, there, there's the Mass Renews Alliance Coalition that is essentially the Green New Deal coalition in Massachusetts that is, I will say, national. There are many states that are doing this and they're all passing legislation that centers equity. Um, and there are other coalitions in Massachusetts 
that center equity. And so, you know, Green Justice Coalition is one that I think of. Um, there are organizations doing great work like Neighbor to Neighbor is one of them. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of work being done by the environmental justice community. And so I would really encourage folks to dig into that and uplift that because that for them, this is, they care about climate change, they care about their children, but they've notoriously been left behind by governments. And so we need to ensure that that doesn't happen anymore and that we are centering their voices and their needs. Absolutely. Um, so such important work. Um, it's great to have you on and get some real uh, kind of dig into the details. And, um, and given that, you know, they're finally have, have we've finally passed um, the environmental legislation that, that commits, that commits us to you know, following these timelines, the long timelines, we can really look forward in the next few sessions to bills that actually dig a little deeper into the details about how do we how do we meet those timelines? Is that accurate? Yeah, and you know, some of the bills too are about just transition because you also want to ensure that if you're creating a workforce, you're creating a workforce that is fair, and you are paying prevailing wage, and you are protecting workers. Because again, you know, we have this society of grind culture where you squeeze as much out of a person and then you send them on their way. And we don't pay equitably. We have not kept up with inflation. I mean, it's as simple as that. If you have a federal minimum wage, it's $7.25. That's criminal. That's criminal. So, you know, if we're yeah, at 11. Massachusetts one is, you know. Yeah, $15 an hour. Great, thanks. Okay, that's, you know, still, I mean, these, you know, these jobs re require fairness. And so while we are rebuilding the wheel, essentially, you know, let's make sure that we get it right this time and let's not leave anybody behind. The New Deal was a was a wonderful uh, piece that passed that created a bunch of fabulous jobs. It's where unions were created. But the Green New Deal is a different kind of down payment that makes sure that everybody is included and that once again, we pay prevailing wage. And so the, the job part of this is so, so, so important that people can actually live and not have to have five jobs just yes. to survive. The so. jobs part, the environmental justice part, all super, super important. Um, thank you so much. It's been fantastic. We love having you on. Um, and, uh, and also thanks for all the work that you're doing uh, through 350 Mass and everything else. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me. It's great to come on and, and talk about these important things. So I appreciate it. Absolutely. See everybody next time. Bye.